0: Welcome to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On The Way. This is Zach Cochran, and I have the honor of being the producer of the On The Way podcast. Dr. Tony has asked me to jump on here and share some important information with you about the podcast for the next few days. First, Dr. Tony is taking a few days away to be with his wife, Karen, and her family as they are dealing with an emergency medical situation. We ask that you would pray for them during this difficult time that our perfect Heavenly Father, in His amazing grace and mercy, would give them the comfort and peace they need for the days ahead. Next, we have a series of podcasts that have already been prepared to cover the next few days that will talk about the great mysteries of God. We hope that you will continue to listen each day as we continue the journey into understanding the Bible. Now, here is Dr. Tony Crisp.
1: This week, I'm going to be speaking to you about the mysteries of God. The word in the Koine Greek text is musterion, M-U-S-T-E-R-I-O-N. The E has a pronunciation as a longy, as in they, Musterion. What is a mystery? Well, a mystery in our culture is Nancy Drew or N.C.S.I. or some kind of mystery of who done it. That's not a biblical mystery. A biblical mystery is something hidden in the heart of God. It is a secret. Something that's not made known to one generation, perhaps not even to the angels of God but it is revealed to another generation. It is an apocalypse. It is the pulling back of the veil. Literally, that is what the Bible says, that it is the unveiling. And so there are many mysteries, especially in the New Testament. The word mystery appears 27 times in the New Testament, 20 times in Paul. And then it is used in the book of Revelation four times and in the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Luke, and the gospel of Mark. It's never mentioned in the gospel of John, perhaps because the gospel of John is the gospel of the deity of Christ. And that in itself is a great mystery. And I'll talk to you about that when we get to the mystery of the Incarnation. What we're going to do this week is cover four mysteries. We're going to cover the mystery of the Incarnation. Call the mystery of godliness in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. And we're going to look at the Gospel of John and how John develops this great mystery, unpacks it for us in a way that we can understand through seven miracles that he chose to show that Jesus did miracles that only God Almighty, only Hashem. Only the Tetragrammaton could do. Only the covenant God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob could do. Oh, he did many more miracles than this. And in the last two chapters of the Gospel of John, the last verses, John mentions that twice. Many other things that Jesus did which were not recorded. Many other miracles, signs, wonders that Jesus did were not recorded in the New Testament. We know of that for a fact and I'll be delighted to share that with you one day as well. But the Bible says that John recorded the ones that he did to show you to prove that Jesus is the Son of God and that once you understand who he is that you might believe in his name. And so we'll talk about that when we talk about the mystery of godliness, the mystery of the great incarnation that God revealed, not only to us, but it was the answer to what Isaiah and Jeremiah and all of the other prophets prophesied about, but they just couldn't get it. And according to the Apostle Peter, even the angels desired to look into these things. How would the Father, how would the great God do what He promised He would do? And He showed them it was a secret. It was a mystery that is now revealed. And so we're going to look at that. There is a mystery of the Gentiles being grafted in and that there would be a great body of Jew and Gentile that would come to know God in a personal way by faith, the only way that anyone has ever come to know God, the only way anyone was made righteous. And Paul points that out in Romans chapter 4, When he says, it was not by works that Abram was justified, that Abraham was justified. I know James says he was justified through his works, but he didn't use the same example. James used the incident of Isaac and the binding of Isaac because it was an outward thing that God asked him to do. But no, in his heart and before God, Abraham's right standing was based upon what happened in Genesis. 15. When he believed God, he trusted God's promise. He trusted in who God is and the integrity of who he is. And God said, I'm going to put it on your record for righteousness. Look it up and you'll see. And so we're going to talk about the church, the Gentiles, and the Jew becoming one body. That was a great mystery. No one knew it was in the heart of God. It was a secret. We're going to look at the mystery of the rapture. That is the harpazo, the rapting away, the great snatch of pulling out believers from all over the world at some time in the future. You say to me, Pastor, do you really believe in the rapture? Well, of course I do. That's what the Bible teaches, and we'll look at that. I personally believe that the Bible teaches it will take place before the Great Tribulation. And I know what people say. I know what you're going to say. I know all the arguments. By the way, I've heard it from the best not from you or me or someone of our level of understanding, but from those that you would consider the best. I've read George Eldon Land. I have read the Blessed Hope. I have read all of those who went before him that taught that. But what I'm going to do is show you biblically why I believe that the church of Jesus will be raptured out before the Great Tribulation, which will end with the judgment of the nations and the great. Thousand year reign of Messiah on earth from Jerusalem. Yes, I am a premillennial millennial pre-tribulation rapturist, and I will show you in the Word of God that that was a mystery hidden in the heart of God, ready to be revealed at the last time. Jesus didn't reveal it, and the apostles didn't while he was on earth, but it was revealed by the apostle Paul and then by the other apostles. So we're going to look at that in the Word of God this week. And finally this week, on Friday, we're going to look at the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory, in the book of Colossians. It is a fascinating study that we're going to do this week, The Great Secrets of God. But as we look at those, I want you to look at a passage that is in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 13, verses 11 through 17, when the Lord Jesus said He would speak to them in parables. As a matter of fact, in verse 10, After Jesus began to tell the parable of the sower, his disciples came to him and said unto him, Why do you speak to us in parables? What is a parable? Well, first of all, the word is a Koine Greek word. When you say the word parable, you're speaking Greek, not English. It is a compound word, parabole. What is parabole? Well, para means beside. And bole comes from the word balo, which means To cast. A parable or a parabole is something cast down beside something else. In this case, it was a story that Jesus was telling. It could be a real story or it could be an imaginary story, but it was a real story that was being told that people could identify with a true life situation. He had just told this parabole of the uh, sower. And so his disciples didn't get it. And so Jesus answered them, this is why I did this in parabole. And so what is a parable? It is one story cast alongside another. It has been defined as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, a terrestrial story with a celestial meaning, something that is hard reality, but it has a spiritual meaning to it. Jesus answered them and said, because it has been given to you to know the secrets the mysterion of the kingdom of heaven but to them it has not been given and he goes on to say that because their hearts are hard he spoke to them in parables and that the uninitiated that they were the unbelieving those who were not part of the kingdom of God as the disciples they will not understand it and it will harden their heart because of their unbelief but the disciples Disciples should understand this, and Jesus went on to explain that. This is the same language that Paul used in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when he said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech, declaring the wisdom of God, the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now let me parenthetically say that Paul had just come from a dry run up in Athens. He was there by himself. He went out and tried to philosophize with the philosophers, and he began to tell them, quote, taking them right where they were. But the reality is that unless you get around to Jesus being crucified as a substitute for our sins, being buried, and rose again, even though Paul spoke of the resurrection, they laughed at him, and obviously he did not emphasize the gospel as he wanted to, that is, the substitutionary death of Christ, his burial, and his resurrection, that over 500 witnessed him alive at one time, that's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 6, then Paul said, there's not going to be any life change, you see, men, women, sooner or later we have to get to the gospel of Jesus. And so he said, I was with you in meekness and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with persuasive rhetoric, is what he's talking about, of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith, your trust, would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, he said, what he was saying is, when I first came to you, I came to you with the simple gospel of Jesus, so that you would believe. However, that's not where it ended. Those of you who are listening who are pastors, Jesus saves. We know that. Preach that. Yes, preach the gospel. But if you preach the same message every week, the gospel of Jesus, and you just take a different text, I know what Spurgeon said. I've read much of what Spurgeon has written, period. I've not read all of his sermons, but I've read almost everything that Spurgeon wrote himself that was not transcribed. And I can tell you when he said, take any text to make a beeline to Jesus. Well, of course that's true. But the fact is there's more in the word of God to teach the people besides Jesus saves. If you preach that every week, your people will starve to death if that's all you speak. He said, however, not just preaching Jesus and him crucified, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. You see, you've got to teach the people. Yet not the wisdom of the age, nor the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. That's a word for us in our generation. Whoever is leader, whoever is president, they're going to stand before God. They'll come to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a secret, in a musterion, the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. Had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now that. That's exactly what Peter echoed in Acts chapter two. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Now that's where most of the quoting stops. But you need to go on to verse ten. But that is, eyes has not seen, ears not heard, all of that. But God has revealed those things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. Go on to read. It says in verse 16, For we have the mind of Christ. How do we have the mind of Christ? Through the written word of God, study the book of God and you'll know the great mysteries. You see, only a saved person can understand the word of God. You might understand the history, the literature, the literary devices that are used in scripture, but you can't understand the truth of God's word. You cannot understand what the Bible teaches unless you have given your heart and life to Christ. That's right. Unless you have come to him by faith, unless you are seeking after God. You say, what about those in the Old Testament? They were trusting God's word, and because they were trusting in God's promise of the Messiah, they were counted as righteous. They were saved looking forward to the cross. We are saved looking back to the cross. Now, that's just what the Bible teaches from Genesis to Revelation. The natural man cannot receive spiritual things. And uh, he just does not have the capacity because they are spiritually discerned. Read through all of chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians and you'll see that. It is only the spiritual man, that man who has been born of the Spirit of God, that will be able to discern and teach the Word of God and understand the Word of God. Now you say, oh, I've never understood the Bible. That must mean I'm not saved. necessarily so, no one may have ever taught you how to read and understand the Bible. I would love to do that. And if you'll contact me, I'll send you some material that will help you to read and understand the Bible. Because the weakest saint of God can understand the truths of God's Word. And as you mature the great mysteries of God that were hidden in the heart of God for millennia, will become as open to you as reading a book and God will help you. Why? Because one of the other mysteries is that God's spirit lives in your heart. Well, that's all for today. I hope you'll listen all week. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp.
0: Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies.